breaker one, breaker one might be crazy, but I ain't dumb. Crazy cooter coming at you. Hey, fast line, fast track. Y'all got your ears on out there? John Deere to New Holland. Just look at the load I'm hauling. Hard work, I hit it harder. Ain't nothing new for a backwoods farmer. Sun up to sundown. Backing up traffic all the way to town. Camo hat and a farmer's tan. Cause I'm a working man. Welcome to Fast Line Fast Track. Presented by Fast Line Media Group. Your innovative consumer resource and marketing partner of choice for the evolving agricultural community. Now, here's your host, Brent Adams. Well, welcome to another episode of Fast Line Fast Track. It's great to have you with us. This week, we're talking optimism in the pork market and potato growers question whether Mexico is holding up at its end of the bargain on USMCA. Also, should you be considering a sunflower crop? We talk fuel economy and special sweepstakes with Kloss. Jesse Allen fills us in on a bullish week in grain in this week's market talk update. And the hot rod farmer, Ray Bohax, talks battery acid in this week's bushels and cents. Finally, we hear the phenomenal music of traditional country music star Dave Wilbert. You won't want to miss a moment of this one. Let's go. This week's show is dedicated to the memory of traditional country music star Dawn Anita, who's been our guest on Fast Line Fast Track a couple of times, most recently in February. She passed away on April 20th after enduring a courageous battle with cancer. As we kick things off this week, I wanted to share with you an excerpt from my last conversation with Donna Nita, who also was the aunt of the late country music superstar Joe Diffie, of whom she was very proud, as she was of her husband and children. We'll close out this week's show with a special song from Donna Nita, recorded shortly before her passing, so stay tuned for that. So when all is said and done, how does Donna Nita want to be remembered as an artist? What, what, what do you hope your legacy in music will be? I hope that people will will remember me as being real and being pure and giving my honest and best performance and know that I love the people out there. And we loved her back. And we want to offer our heartfelt condolences to the Plumley and Diffie families, as well as Donna Nita's friends and fans. She was a great friend of the show, and she will be dearly missed. And we would encourage you to go back to episode 96 of the Fast Line Fast Track podcast to revisit my full conversation with Donna Anita. Well, first up this week on Fast Line Fast Track, 2020 was a rough year in the pork industry, but 2021 finds things looking more optimistic than they were a year ago. Dr. Scott Brown is an associate extension professor at the University of Missouri, and he says things are looking better in 2021. Pork production is still historically large, but slower growth may be in front of us, and that may be part of what gives us higher prices as we look ahead. Fewer sale numbers. I still have some question about how long that continues to happen, given some of the current economics that I see. And of course, China matters a lot in this discussion, whether it's ASF issues going on in China or even how they recover from COVID-19 and their demand side. It certainly all factors into what's going forward. And I'll say 
exports look to remain solid for pork products as we look ahead. While the overall growth in pork, beef, and chicken production will level off this year, that might be a good thing for pork prices. Since 2014, when you look at all meat in here, it's beef, pork, and chicken. You know, we went from 86 billion pounds to right at 98 billion pounds by 2019. So a quick increase pushing a lot of additional product at consumers after what was a period of time prior to 2014 of what was very flat growth. Now, if you look in 2020, we slowed in terms of that production growth. And it looks like to me for the next couple of years, we'll continue that slowdown. That may be enough if demand stays as strong as it's been to give us some really good look ahead at higher prices or at least prices that stay where they are. He expects exports to slow down, especially to China later in the year. With the possible slowdown in pork production in 2021, he says that might not be a bad thing. I'm thinking exports to China will be down. We'll look at what's been happening uh, so far year to date for 2021. And it's nice that maybe production is corresponding to those lower export projections as well. Yeah, not a lot of change relative to 2020, but flattening of production growth and export growth. And we want to thank the NAFB News Service for that report. Also this week, the National Potato Council and 26 other leading food and agricultural associations recently sent a letter to U.S. Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack expressing concern over what they call the deterioration of U.S.'s trade with Mexico. National Potato Council Public Relations Director Mark Szymanski says potato growers have been denied market access, corn growers are having genetically modified crops banned, and much more. It's obvious that there is a growing list of trade impediments that are being constructed by Mexico intended to either slow or stop U.S. exports. The letter asks Vilsack to, quote, respectfully urge your attention to this important but quickly deteriorating trade relationship, end quote. Szymanski says obligations for all parties are very clearly spelled out in the USMCA and need to be enforced. Blocking U.S. ag trade, either through regulations or other impediments, is not living up to that agreement. And it's pretty clear that's what they're doing. Again, that's National Potato Council Public Relations Director Mark Szymanski. And we want to thank Glenn Wagen with the Pacific Northwest Ag Network in Pasco, Washington for that audio. Also this week, sunflowers provide growers with an excellent opportunity for profit potential, according to one sunflower grower. Carl Esping, a board member with the National Sunflower Association, first discusses the recent grain stocks report released by the USDA earlier in the month. It's hard to understand how the USDA predictions and stock reports work, and I don't debate them anymore much. <laughs> but uh, it says, you know, our carryover stocks are very, very high. What we do know is that the North and South Dakota crop was absolutely huge this last year. But what we're not talking too much about or what we're hearing is that uh, usage is way, way up. And so, you know, you can kind of debate those reports. He says the changes in lifestyle have increased sunflower usage. Bird feeding, if you will, has gotten huge. Uh, everybody's doing that, and the, the usage is, is really going uh, out, of this, out of sight. And we think that the, the carryover from this big crop is not going to help add to our bottom line as far as uh, stocks go. For sunflower growers, Esping recommends growers do a crop budget. Everybody needs to do a crop budget. Uh, whenever I speak to a group, I always express my concern that we're not doing due diligence in our crop budget process. We look at corn, we look at soybeans, which are very viable products. Don't get me wrong there because I raise those too also. But, uh, you know, if you look at efficiencies, look at 
water usage, that's a big deal. He says a crop budget includes everything it takes to grow a crop. You know, look at your seed costs. Look at your re- reduced fertilizer costs. Uh, sunflowers require fairly decent amounts of nitrogen. But uh, it is a proven fact through many years of research that phosphorus in sunflower plants is not required. Unless you have an extremely low-testing soil for phosphorus, then you could you could put a little starter on or spread a little manure or whatever you're going to do. But when it comes down to it, nitrogen is number one. Then you throw in your herbicide cost. Esping adds performing a crop budget shows sunflowers are a good crop to grow. Seed cost is dramatically less. What it turns out to be, when you really get down to it, sunflowers are very profitable. Uh, it's something we really, really need to take a hard look at. And we want to thank our friend Lori Boyer with KSIR Radio in Fort Morgan, Colorado, for that audio. And finally this week, a couple of news items of note. Environmental Protection Agency Administrator Michael Regan told lawmakers Wednesday the agency would not go back to Obama-era definitions of waters of the U.S., Regan made the comments as part of the 2022 budget request for EPA during a House Appropriations Subcommittee hearing. The statement was in response to questions from two Republican members of the subcommittee. Regan, who noted his meetings with top ag industry leaders, says, quote, We all believe the courts weighed in on the Obama rule and that the courts weighed in on Trump's navigable water rule, end quote. Regan pledged to begin a stakeholder engagement process, including ag and environmental groups, to find a way to move forward. Specifically, in a way, Regan says, we're, quote, we don't overburden the small farmer, but we also balance the protection of our wetlands, end quote, adding, I think we can do it. And finally this week, the USDA's National Agricultural Classification Survey is coming to mailboxes across the nation. The survey, one of the most important steps in determining who should receive a 2022 Census of Agriculture questionnaire, asks recipients if they are involved in agricultural activity. USDA's National Agricultural Statistics Service recently mailed the NACS to 633,000 potential agricultural producers. NAS requests that each person who receives the survey respond by May 3rd. NAS encourages recipients to respond online at agcounts.usda.gov using the 12-digit survey code mailed with the survey. Completed questionnaires also may be mailed back in the prepaid envelope provided. Referenced by countless national and local decision makers, researchers, farm organizations, and more, the once-every-five-year Census of Agriculture is the leading source of facts about American agriculture. Chandler Equipment. For 51 years, Chandler Equipment has been manufacturing excellence. The finest quality in pull type and truck mount fertilizer lime spreaders and litter spreaders, fertilizer tenders, seed tenders, and litter conveyors. They also sell a full line of Raven Industries Precision Ag products. To find out more about the full Chandler product line or to find a Chandler Equipment dealer near you, visit ChandlerEquipment.net or give them a call at 800-243-3319. Well, next up this week on Fast Line Fast Track, anyone familiar with the show knows we love talking about saving money. And today we wanted to bring in Daryl Tice, the head of marketing at Kloss, to talk about ways the equipment manufacturer has designed its equipment to put money back in producers' pockets. And Daryl, thank you so much for taking the time to join us here on Fast Line Fast Track. 
Hey, great to be here. And today we want to talk about putting money back into a producer's pocket. And at the end of this segment, we're going to talk about another way Claus plans to do this. But first, I wanted to talk fuel efficiency. And I know whether it's tractors, combines, or forage harvesters, Claus has worked diligently over the years to deliver machines that are not only powerful, but fuel efficient. For example, the Claus Lexion combine has been refined to increase throughput using 31% less fuel per acre than some of its competitors. And doing the math on that, per one 1,000 acres, you can save 480 gallons of fuel or an estimated $1,320 in cost savings when you figure on 275 per gallon, which is a five-year average. And you can find all those calculations for yourself and how they arrived at those numbers on ClossOfAmerica.com. But Daryl, how has Kloss been able to achieve such fuel efficiency? Achieving the fuel efficiency and the numbers you talked about really starts with our top-tier engineering department and thinking about how do we get straight crop flow through the machines, straight transfer of power, and then also a lot of the technology that's inside the machine making the engines run at optimum horsepower, um, optimum fuel efficiency based on the crop load uh, that the, the machine's experiencing at the time. So it's really a combination of all the hard work our engineers do in designing the machine, and then all of the uh, the IT components, the uh, the machine intelligence to best set that system and that engine to really optimize its performance. And we talk about things such as transfer of power and smoother throughput and removing some of those obstacles that can make life difficult for farmers is a constantly evolving process, isn't it? It's something we improve upon each year. If you follow the the Kloss machines and our website, you'll hear us talk a lot about smooth and straight crop flows. Uh, anytime we change the direction of the crop flow or anytime we change the direction of the power uh, that's being transferred in the machine, it costs energy, which ultimately costs fuel. And that translates into higher fuel bills as well. Uh, so it's a constant process that our engineers are focused on as they're following machines throughout the field, as they're designing new machines. How do we continue to refine these so that we get more efficiency out of them uh, for the average producer that's looking to improve their bottom line? And we don't have time to run through each of the Kloss products here. But again, I encourage you to visit ClossOfAmerica.com and click on products. Head on over to the far right column down toward the bottom. Look at the fuel efficiency breakdowns under the free fuel contest header. But one product that I did want to look at briefly is the Zerion tractor and explain what we're working with there. And anyone who follows this show knows that we love talking about power. And Kloss has been able to achieve fuel efficiency while still achieving an incredible power output and that 450 to 500 horsepower four-wheel drive class. Yeah, the Zerion's are our big four-wheel drive. Uh, ranges in horsepower from uh, roughly the low 400s into the, the low 500s. And again, this is a machine that has demonstrated the best uh, fuel efficiency in its class and really comes back to one or two items. Uh, again, one is the straight drive concept or the straight transfer of power. Uh, going from the engine back to, for instance, the, the PTO. Uh, and really, we're seeing significant improvements in fuel efficiency with this tractor versus other other competitive tractors in the market, uh, as much as 5 10% or more. Uh, and again, it's all around that design. The second key component is using smart equipment or smart design uh, and technology within the Zerion. The transmission is extremely efficient in terms of how it takes that energy and transfers it into uh, putting power to the ground. And uh, it's because of those two elements that we really see the fuel efficiency when producers operate the machine in the farm and 
and certainly turns into a, a big savings at the end of the year because you can put a lot of hours on a four-wheel drive in a year. Well, we've talked about how Kloss is saving producers money through fuel efficiency, but now, as I mentioned earlier, I want to talk about how Kloss is trying to put money back into the pocket of one lucky farmer through its farm diesel fuel giveaway, where one grand prize winner will be selected to win $10,000 in farm diesel fuel. And we should note that no purchase is necessary to win. And Daryl, what else do folks need to know about this sweepstakes? Well, to register, go to fuel.kloss.com. They can register anytime between now and June 30th uh, this year. Uh, We'll select one grand prize winner to win uh, $10,000 in farm diesel fuel, all around the idea of uh, raising awareness for exceptional and top tier engineering and how that leads to better fuel efficiency on your farm and most importantly, better profitability for producers. And $10,000 for anybody's fleet, that, that's uh, a big savings right there. So again, make sure you go check out fuel.kloss, that's C-L-A-A-S.com. And Daryl, thank you so much for taking the time to join us here on Fast Line Fast Track to break it all down for us. Hey, thank you. It's a pleasure. World Ag Expo Online is not just one week. We'll be here all year long with new information, seminars, links to exhibitors, and more. Mark your calendar to make sure you visit the show website every month. Want to get monthly reminders of updated news and information? Go to worldagexpo.org to sign up for the email newsletter. More than 600 online exhibitors coming from 48 states and 65 countries. Attendance is free for the online show throughout 2021. Just go to worldagexpo.org. Well, it was a week for the bulls in this week's grain market trading, and Jesse Allen is here to fill us in in this week's Market Talk update. Jesse. Well, thank you very much, Brent, and welcome into another Market Talk update here on Fast Line Fast Track. As we take a look back at the market trade here this week, bullish momentum is what we saw in grains as we work through our week. Just a lot of things to talk about, whether it be weather issues in South America and the continued U.S. drought issues along with cold weather dipping down to the U.S. impacting wheat crops. That's one story. Stories about the demand for soy oil with renewable diesel starting to become a topic of conversation. A lot of different things to look at as well as the continued tight supplies and demand for U.S. and world cord soybeans and wheat for that matter. Really just looking at all these factors Overall, I talked to Mike Zuzalo earlier this week on an episode of Market Talk and just wanted his uh, overall thoughts as to the bullish momentum we're seeing in the markets. Yeah, and I think this is one of those times where when we've talked in the past, Jesse, we've talked about the idea that corn had the better set of fundamentals than soybeans. And we're really starting to see that now in a variety of areas, most importantly with Brazil and that second crop corn as essentially there's two provinces in Brazil that make up the Safrina corn crop, Mato Grosso in the north, Paraná in the south. Both of them give it, give us about 40% of the Safrina corn crop. So you're talking about almost all the second crop corn in those two provinces. One is seeing very good conditions weather-wise. That's Mato Grosso in the north. The southern Brazil region of Paraná is seeing an amazing drought reestablish its, uh, itself. So La Nina is back in southern Brazil. And so the market has caught wind of this. The market has caught wind of the idea that China is going to need more U.S. corn or more corn from someone. And that actually has been put out now by the USDA attache taking up just today the import number for China's 2021 marketing year uh, corn import number. Uh, 4 million tons greater than the USDA uh, 
official estimate, attaches at 28 million tons now. So you and I have talked about when will the market realize this? When it does, it should start to rally. Corn should start to lead. And so we are seeing that now. We're seeing the vegetable oil really pull together again with the bean oil and the biodiesel mindset really starting to kick into gear. Well, I also played devil's advocate a little bit with Mike Zuzlo of Global Commodity Analytics. He's talked a lot about the sell and defend model here the last uh, couple of months with me on the show. And even though I agree with the sell and defend model, I asked him just his thoughts on whether or not it might be time to throw in the towel, so to say, and just take some of the profit that is out there rather than worrying about it and trying to sell and defend if I'm a producer. Here is what Mike had to say about that devil's advocate question. I will say that as of this point, the sell and defend model has worked. It has worked better if I had not had bought calls against sold calls in some of these commodities, and I've had to maneuver a lot more quickly and a lot more frequently than I would have wanted, we're still mostly taking profit away from the market, but not nearly as much as if we would have just been long futures and defended the sale and the cash hedge with just a long futures position. And so this is an important thing for me going forward. It's kind of learning from what you can improve upon as the volatility goes higher, if we continue to have more weather problems, then the price action can go even higher and more in a parabolic move. So I'm going to walk, I'm going to move farther away from both buying a call and selling a call and just having a call bought outright. So I have unlimited upside potential so that if both the price and the volatility go screaming higher very, very fast, like they did in 2012 and to a lesser degree in 2008, I feel like I can participate more in that reownership for my clients and improve his net selling price. But I will say the key to the sell and defend model this year that I think has worked really well is I've sold very small chunks and defended part of those chunks. And so far, I'm very satisfied with that because I take a very big, big picture of, of the market because I've been doing this 26 years at this point, Jesse. If I can get these kind of prices every single year, I will have some of the most profitable, wealthiest farmers in the world if I can do this every year for them at these price levels. Because let's look at the charts. The price levels don't come around to these levels very often in the last 20, 25 years, maybe a half a dozen times if you're lucky. So I think we just got to go back to the context of everything. But I appreciate that question. The defensive mechanism, the, the defense and the sell and defend model get, is getting more and more important to have more unlimited upside potential if we do have that straight up parabolic move continue because stocks are so razor thin. Well, great insight as always from Mike Zuzalo of Global Commodity Analytics. You can listen to the full episode from Wednesday's edition of Market Talk earlier this week as well as all past episodes. You can find them archived online at markettalkag.com. All the links to your favorite streaming sources are there as well. And you can always tune in and uh, find a new episode of Market Talk each and every weekday afternoon, either uh, via your favorite streaming sources, our radio affiliates, or via our YouTube channel. And this has been another edition of a Market Talk Update for Fastline Fast Track in Nashville. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. And you can find Jesse's daily market updates at markettalkag.com. Again, markettalkag.com. And you can find him by searching Market Talk on Facebook. He also appears on the American Ag Network, and you can hear him host Your Ag Today weekday mornings about 6.50 a.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Satellite Radio, 
Rural Radio Channel 147. Well, next up on Fast Line Fast Track, it's time for another installment of Bushels and Cents with our buddy the Hot Rod Farmer, Raybo Hacks. Don't forget, you can check out all of his great multimedia content at FarmMachineryDigest.com. Welcome to Bushels and Cents from Farm Machinery Digest Radio, heard exclusively on Sirius XM Channel 147, Rural Radio. I am your host, Ray Bohax, the Hot Rod Farmer. And never forget, it is not what you make, but what you keep that counts. When the battery is sound and the charging circuit is functioning correctly, the top of the case and especially the area around the terminals will stay clean. If you start to notice a small buildup of acid, this is traditionally a sign of either a crack in the case or the alternator is overcharging. Most alternators over the past 40 years will output 14.7 volts to the battery. To check the output, place the leads of a voltmeter across the terminals with the engine running at high idle speed. Agriculture runs on machinery, profits on reliability. Visit FarmMachineryDigest.com where steel and soil meet. And don't forget, Ray Bohax has launched Farm Machinery Digest Radio on Sirius XM Rural Radio Channel 147. It airs each Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern and again on Sundays at 6 p.m. Eastern. So I hope you go and give him a listen. Well, next up on Fast Line Fast Track, we head on over to the musical side of the house. And boy, do we have a treat for you this week. Our special guest epitomizes what true country music is all about. He's a throwback to the great 90s sound in the vein of Garth, Tracy Lawrence, Alan Jackson, Travis Tritt, and of course, Joe Diffie. He has some new music out that we can't wait to share with you, as well as an interesting partnership with a company that makes custom turkey and deer calls. And we'll tell you all about that a bit later on. But for now, Dave Wilbert, welcome in to Fast Line Fast Track. Thanks for having me, Brent. I really appreciate it, my man. Oh, I appreciate uh, you taking the time to do it because I knew I pulled you out of the uh, turkey fields just for this. You did, man. <laughs> and those guys that I was hunting with just killed a bird. <laughs> All it took was getting uh, you out property. of the way, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, I just had to get out of the way. I've been hunting that property for, I think, four years, and those birds are just so cagey. And it took me leaving for them to kill a bird today. <laughs> well, how about we get things started this week with music from Dave Wilbert. This is Even If It Kills Me on Fast Line Fast Track. I've been bitten by the love bug. I never knew what love was till now. I'm a changing my ways. All of a sudden, I'm a big mush. All I do is think about us and how I want her more every day. They're gonna see less of me on the town I got a lot of living it up, I've got to live down I'm gonna cut back from a 12 to a 6 pack Gonna slack off the chicken fried and deep fat Gonna put the pink stuff in my tea I'm gonna dip less, up to smoke less I'm gonna smoke less like the doc says I'm gonna increase my life expectancy if it kills me I got a rough road ahead of me But I can do it cause I wanna be around When we're old and gray If I'm gonna be the grandpa With the prettiest grandma in town I better make a change I try cold turkey, but it just ain't my thing. 
between Louisville and Indianapolis and Cincinnati and mm-hmm. uh, about 10 miles uh, down U.S. Highway 50 from Seymour, Indiana, the home of one John Mellencamp. So oh, yeah. Tell me a bit about what life was like growing up there in uh, North Vernon. Well, it was great. You know, uh, I was the I have three brothers and my parents were both teachers and retired about 40 years of teaching up there in Jennings County. Great place to grow up, you know. My still my best friends today are, you know, some of them are still back home. Uh, they still live there. Um, you know, it was a great it was a great place. You know, um, we had we, we played outside every day. You know, every day we could. Uh, we prayed for snow days. We didn't get too many. You know, not like down here. If there's just a mention of snow around here, they cancel school. But uh, you know, it was a great place to grow up. You know, um, it was a very close knit society or, or, or town. You know, our rivals were, you know, Madison and Columbus and Seymour and, and Charleston. We played Charleston in the Jamboree every year in football. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, we just uh, – it was a great place to grow up. I wouldn't trade it for anything, you know, just a great place. And you mentioned John Mellencamp. And, you know, I think it's a state law in Indiana. I think every five minutes a Mellencamp song has to be played somewhere on a radio station. I believe it's all. <laughs> yes. And if you haven't had a chance to check out the big mural uh, – that they've got there in the downtown area. I just had a chance about a month ago to check that out. And that's, it's really impressive. That's actually where I got my start in media was at Seymour just down the, down the road there. And I spent a lot of time yeah. at Kings County high school, the old Panthers mm-hmm. uh, covering a lot of ball games in that area. Salt of the earth yeah. people in, in that neck of the woods. You know, and it, it's, it's funny, you know, I tell people down here about basketball in Indiana, you know, and I know they just wrapped up the final four up in Indianapolis, but I said, you know, football in Tennessee is like football in Texas and Florida. Friday nights, you can't get around the – I mean, it's they're, – they're parking – I mean, they're parked from here, you know, yeah, just as far as you can see, people going to Friday night football. The basketball games, they have to play the, the girls and the boys the same night to draw a crowd. Yeah. 
it's the craziest thing. And I was like, just the opposite in Indiana. You go to Indiana on Friday night and try to get into a gym somewhere. Good luck. Yeah, there's nothing like it. That's for sure. Now, what, what did you? I understand you uh, did, did uh, choir, church choir, and also school choir, and uh, played football there, Jenny. Mm-hmm. Stanford, right? I played football. I, I wasn't very good, but I tried hard. You know, uh, we had a lot of. We weren't. We weren't very well. Very good. We won one game in the three years I played on varsity. I think we were one in twenty-seven, something like that. But uh, you know, it, it was. Uh, it was. It, I still wouldn't trade it for anything. You know. Uh, yeah. And I was in all the musical programs and the choir and all that stuff. Uh, so kind of, kind of like high school, the movie high school musical before there was a high school musical. <laughs> so you talk about growing up there in North Vernon, uh, when did music really enter the picture for you and, and who were some of the artists that influenced you along the way? Yeah. So when I, my, my first memory and I tell it, you know, my first memory of music really happened when I was super young in church and, uh, had a, I was a little bitty guy, you know, three or four years old. And there was a guy singing in the choir up in front of the, in front of the, in front of the, you know, the, uh, uh, in front of the, 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 you know, the folks in the pews. And he was a big old fella. His name was Moose. His nickname was Moose, literally. And he, uh, he had this real rich baritone voice. And I just remember hearing it as a little guy and thinking, man, that's awesome. That's something I want to do. And, you know, God had given me a little bit of talent. I guess I used to sing when I was a little bitty and, and my parents and my and the neighbors used to, you know, encourage me to do it. So, you know, my first memory of music was, like I said, I was, I was young, 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 young. Um, but then all, all, you know, growing up, you know, I was, I wasn't really in any choirs in, in, in elementary school or, or middle school, but my parents were adamant that I, that I get into the choir program when I got into high school and I'm glad I did. So, and then I, you know, and then, the music bug itself playing out, you know, I played in our little high school, uh, our high school talent show, you know, with a band. And, uh, once you got the bug, you know, uh, the rest is history. Uh-huh. And you grew up in that sweet spot there in the eighties where you had everything from the Statler brothers to Alabama to, to Van Halen to kiss. Oh my gosh. Yeah. We had a, in my house, you could hear anything you could hear, you could hear, uh, you know, my parents, I remember they'd taken a trip to, to, to London and to Scotland and all that kind of tracing our ancestry, et cetera. And they came back with some Celtic music. So for a whole six to nine months, there was nothing but Celtic music playing in the household. So you'd hear everything, you know, you'd hear Paul Simon or the Bee Gees or uh, my brothers would be playing Kiss or Van Halen, you know, it's just, just all kinds of music, you know. And I imagine you take a little bit of all of that with you uh, when you uh, create your own music, huh? That's it. You know, I think good music's good music, but absolutely. I mean, I, you know, my influences, you know, we all, we're all influenced by what we're surrounded by. So I think all of those kind of come together. Um, but what, what really, I mean, what I really got turned on to music, really digging into music, right, right as I was going into college, you know, and I really was digging into country music hard. Uh, I was going back and listening to, you know, Haggard and Waylon Jennings and all those guys. And of course, you know, Garth Brooks was popular and Al Jackson and Clint Black and, you know, so many great artists. And but I'd go back and listen to their kind of those their influences to kind of see where they had come from, you know. So, um, yeah, that, that's how it all came about. And then after high school there, you graduated, went on to Ball State University up there in Muncie, where you majored in communications. 
Uh, what what was your plan there with, with that degree? Uh, did did you have designs on on doing something in media, or or did you have any idea really? Well, no, I didn't really have an idea to be truthful. Uh, I wanted to be a, I wanted to be a game warden. You know, I, I started out going at Department of Natural Resources major, but then I realized there's literally they got paid nothing hmm. to work. You know, and I, as much as I wanted to be outside and working with in you know within in the wildlife or in the you know outdoors. Also, didn't want to, you know, not have any money. So, you know, I talked to somebody, and and, um, and they were in sales, and and they had told me they had a degree in like communications, and and I thought, well, yeah, I'll, I'll, that sounds good. You know, I'll do something like that, and, and I'll just kind of be viable and, and just be able to do find find something I'm passionate about. And I, you know, luckily for me, you know, I started out after Peter, after I got out of graduate graduated from Ball State, I went to work for Peterbilt Motors. Um, in Southern Indiana and then transferred to the plant, you know, into down to Nashville. Um, and I did, you know, I was a fleet salesman. I sold, I sold Peterbilt trucks to trucking companies, you know, you can't get much more blue collar than that. Uh, and, and, uh, and then I kind of progressed into uh, human health and animal health. Along the way, wh- where did music uh, factor into all that? You talk about uh, uh, picking up uh, car- careers where you're not making much money, then you yeah, <laughs> you get into music, and then you go to start playing music. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what happened was I was playing it. You know, I was playing out quite a bit in a band around Southern Indiana called uh, Mr. Cowboy, and um, we entered into the True Value Country Music Roundup competition. They used to be all over, you know, and. Uh, our, we, we missed the deadline. The funny thing is we missed the deadline to enter into the one in Columbus. Well, our drummer at the time was going to, to radiology school. Radio te- he was going to be a, a radiology tech at, Van, at Vincennes. So we entered the competition down there. We, we, get, we get in and uh, we win. Uh, the, you know, we win the, the deal there. And um, one of the judges, so, so a lot of those local competitions, you know, they'll have like local yokels that are, the, you know, somebody's uncle that's the judge. It's kind of rigged, right? But I will give Knox County credit. They, they actually had people with that, that weren't family members, and they got a guy named Kerry Kirk Phillips who was from the area and had moved to Nashville and had a tremendous amount of success as a songwriter. I mean, down on the farm, pickup man, is it cold in here? I mean, in my own backyard. I mean, you know, on and on and on and on, you know. Um, just major, huge songs. Well, he uh, he was one of the judges, and after the show, when it was over, there's a huge storm coming in, like crazy. People were scrambling to leave. Well, anyway, he comes, he he runs up to me, and I'll never forget it. This dude's wearing bib overalls. It looks like he just came off out of the farm, you know, out of the fields, and starts talking to me about coming to Nashville. And I, you know, I didn't know who this guy was at the time, and I thought he was some whack, you know, quack, you know. But anyway, he uh, the next day he tracks me down, calls my my parents, and they give him my number and or whatever I think might have been you know. And uh, next thing I know, I'm starting making trips you know down to Nashville. I'm staying with him at his place. I'm going in the studio and I'm meeting all these people, songwriters and producers and artists you know that were cutting his songs. I'd go in and watch them record his stuff, and it was it was mind blowing. So you know I. Not long after that, I made a decision, and he, he basically said, if you want to pursue a career, you can't do it from southern Indiana. You know, you need to get you need to get your butt down to Nashville. So I did. You know, I packed up and went, and uh, it's a long, you know, and, and I, you know, an overnight success in Nashville takes 10 years. Yeah. That's the thing in this town. So, 
you know, my, my overnight success and, and what little I have has taken about twice that long, about 20 years, you know? Yeah. Um, but you know, that's, so that's how I got to Nashville. And now you talk about Kerry Kurt Phillips. He, he's produced some of your most recent stuff as well. And we'll, we'll get into that in a bit, but uh, I, I just got to read down this list here for anybody who's unfamiliar, because I, I know back when, when you first met him, uh, it was very early internet day, so you couldn't get on and Google him and, and get this list of, uh, of him. Mm-hmm. Some of them hadn't even been out yet. Uh, uh, but check this out though. George Jones is, I don't need your rocking chair. Joe Diffie is, as you said, is a cold in here. Also prop me up beside the jukebox in my own backyard. And mm-hmm. man. he also wrote down on the farm and a couple other Tim McGraw songs. And she let herself go for George Strait, another huge one. And one mm-hmm. of my all-time favorites, Craig Morgan's almost home. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh yeah. That's uh, you know, um, yeah, I'll tell a little story about that real quick. So, yeah. So Carrie and Craig had written that song. George Strait had it on hold. George Strait was going to cut that. And I, I was, there were some guys that were trying to manage me at the time. They were also managing Craig. I'm sorry about my dogs. They're just going crazy. Um, they were trying to manage, uh, they were, they were managing Craig Morgan at the time. And they were, and we were kind of talking and, and it just so happened, I'd go to the Y every, you know, every morning or every other morning. And, and one of the guys would be there. One of the guys that worked for the management company that Craig was with. And I had told him, you know, I didn't, I didn't it just came, I, they were talking about that song. And I said, yeah, I just heard that, you know, George Strait put it on hold. Well, you know, once they heard George Strait had put it on hold, they rushed Craig in and said, well, you got to cut this. So <laughs> that's how he ended up getting, that's what, even though he co-wrote it, originally it was going to be recorded by, or potentially be recorded by Strait. And I could hear him singing that song. Oh yeah, yeah. But uh, Craig Craig Morgan sure did it justice, and that's. Uh, oh yeah, he's he's a great guy too, man. He's 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 as gets. They don't get any better than him. So you came to Nashville in the late '90s, and that was a time when country music was really starting to make that shift from that great early '90s country vibe to more of a pop country sound. What was it like trying to carve out your niche during that time? It was tough. You know, and the other thing, when I came to town, you know, country music had, had, had swelled up really, really big. You know, there was a lot of labels in town. You know, there was a saying, if you, you know, if you look good in a cowboy hat, they were handing out record label, record deals. Uh, they didn't hand out one to me, but <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but uh, so, and then all of a sudden you had this, this thing with Napster with with you know with that going on and all of a sudden these record labels and, and people started not buying albums people started you know bootlegging albums if you will and that killed the the town and it wasn't quite to the time it wasn't it wasn't quite um we weren't we weren't itunes had not come about it was kind of in, in, in its infancy it was very hard to to negotiate mm-hmm. and labels were going out i mean Everywhere, every day, the publishers were closing up, record labels were closing up. Um, you know, it was crazy. It was supposed to, you know, 9-11. Uh, everything was just, everything was shutting down. I mean, they, they, you know, there was a handful of labels left. There's a lot of consolidation. You know, we had we had talks with a, a, one of the biggest labels in town and, and, and thought we had a deal done. And then they merged with another label in town and all the people that wanted to sign me got fired. You know, that's, it's, it's, that's just the business, you know. I mean, it's... Uh, it's just the business. And, and after a while I did get tired of it. You know, I, uh, we, you know, we met with all the major labels. They all wanted to sign us. Um, but it was like, you know, we'll put you out in two years or, or this, that, the other. And then I just, I just didn't feel comfortable waiting because I'd heard too many horror stories of people being signed and put on a shelf 
so that you can't compete with their current roster. So, you know, eventually, man, I just got burned out. I got really burned out with it. Um, and, and coincidentally life was happening and I was getting ready to become a single dad of three young kids and, and I ended up raising them. You know, uh, I had, I had a choice to make, you know, I could pursue music and be an absentee father or be a father, you know, and, and there was no choice to be made, you know? So I ended up, I had my kids probably 90, 90% of the time, um, for, gosh, a lot of years, you know, so music was just not something I could do. I couldn't, I, I couldn't do it, you know, and I was jaded anyway. And I was just over the whole record label stuff. So I put music away for a long time, concentrated on, you know, taking care of my kids and getting them raised and, and all that stuff. And, and, you know, it's funny how, it's funny how, you know, what I, what I, th- I believe that God has a hand in everything. And it's funny how things have opened up now. My kids are older. They're self-sufficient. I didn't miss anything. I didn't miss any ball games, dance recitals, yeah. birthdays, any of those things. I, I got to experience all that. I got to coach their little league teams, you know, and, and now that they're older, it's crazy. You know, this thing has come full circle and I'm getting another crack at this. And it's so much more fun now because I get to do things like this, talking to guys like you, you know, and, and I just, I'm, I'm so at peace and so comfortable and so relaxed and whatever happens is going to be great. No matter how big or small it gets, you know what I mean? Like I have no, pre- I don't have any pressure on myself. So the time that you were away from it, did, did you pick up a guitar much or ride? Not much, much? Man. Mm-hmm. No, I bet I, I bet I, I bet I played less than five times in five years. Uh-huh. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't playing. I just, you know, I had, I just, every once in a while I would, but, I'd get together with some friends. I actually back home in Indiana, we go up there. My, we have a thing called cousins in the cabin. Um, and I'm not one of the cousins. I'm just one of the, the adoptee cousins, uh, the Amarine clan up there. And they're all in Charleston. A lot of them are in Charleston. Um, uh, and, uh, anyway, in bake and not, not Charleston, but, uh, Oh, uh, right up the street from you, right up the road. Anyway. Um, uh, the casket company. What's the casket company They're up there in uh, New, New Washington? Well, no, the other uh, begins with a B. Anyway, okay. we'll come back to the board, big, board, big, board, big. board, maybe. <laughs> no, but anyway, over there by Cincinnati, Batesville, Batesville. They're all in Batesville. That's there right. We, we figured it out. <laughs> anyway, so I'd go up there about once a year, and we'd get together and pick and play. But that was the only time. Only time I play, pretty much. I wouldn't play anywhere else or any other time. But you know, it's one of those things that's part of you too, though. You know, as much as you try to 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 deny it, you know, anytime I'd go out and see people, if I saw a concert or went and saw someone playing, that man, they would bring up those feelings of, of just wanting to play, you know, just so eventually, you know, it just it just came it felt right to get back and try again, you know. Yeah. So you know, before you, you stepped away, before you, you had the opportunity to open up for, for the likes of Joe Diffie and, and Kenny Chesney. What were those experiences like? You know, what I realized is those guys are just guys, just like everybody else. You know, they, they, they're down to earth, humble people. They work hard to, 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 to get where they got, you know, um, nothing, nothing's easy in, in, in this town. You know, nothing's easy. So, you know, Chesney, he he's created a – he's carved out a niche for himself, kind of that, you know, country 
country tropical thing, you know, kind of Jimmy Buffett style that uh, fits him to a T. He went through a complete physical metamorphosis, you know, changed his, his, he changed his whole appearance, you know, got really strict and worked on his diet and his working out and all that stuff. You know, and Diffie just had the best, he, he had the most natural God-given voice, probably besides Keith Whitley and Daryl Singletary, if there ever was. I mean, he, you know, he could sing the phone book, you know, so he just, he opened his mouth and just, just, just great. Um, so it was an awesome experience, man, to, to play with those guys and to, and to just, just to be in their world for a minute, you know? Yeah. Cool. So when you stepped away and got into doing some of the other things you were doing, what was there ever time you, you felt like maybe you were destined to just stick with one of those jobs, uh, and, and not ever get back into music? Well, sure. You know, um, yeah, I've been, I've been fortunate. I've been successful and really in every job, I shouldn't say every job, but you know, like I was, I was successful selling trucks and then, you know, the, the recession hit, you know, and, uh, I moved out of the trucking industry just because like the music industry I and mean, trucking companies were going out of business. So I kind of moved in, got lucky, moved into human medicine and was in that for a long time, about a decade and did really well. Uh, but the opportunity came to get into animal health and, animal health besides music is definitely my passion. I mean, I, I enjoyed it, you know, immensely, you know, and, and I could certainly have seen myself retiring from that field for sure. Cause again, you know, you're working with vet, you're working with veterinarians and, you know, I've worked in equine, I've worked with the companion animals and production animals. So it's, it's, it's a very rewarding career for sure. And it kind of is that blue collar, you know, there's kind of the salt of the earth people. So it's, it's always been something, you know, farming, horses, dogs, cats, country music, trucking. It's all kind of, you know, it's all kind of, there's a lot of synergy there, you know. Um, but I think my gift, I think my, I think, I think I'm, I'm, I'm going to try my hardest and give all my energy to, to see how far I can take this thing. And, uh, you know, again, like I said, I'm a totally at peace. If, if, if nothing, nothing more than a couple singles make it on the radio and, uh, then that's great. You know, that's so be it, you know? So what was the tipping point that got you back into country music? So, um, one of my buddies, a songwriter, uh, Jason Matthews, I was walking in I was downtown Franklin, Tennessee, and I was walking to, I had to go, I had to go to an appointment. And I looked in Puckett's. Uh, Puckett's is a Puckett's grocery. It's also a you know live music joint and a, uh, restaurant. And there, there was a playbill. You know, there was on the window, and it said Jason Matthews this Friday night songwriter. And, you know, in the round type thing. And I hadn't seen Jason in years. And uh, and I'd recently gotten remarried, and I thought, man, it'd be cool to bring my wife, Laura, to because she she knows about my obviously knew about my musical past and and all that. And I thought it'd be really cool for her to see, to meet Jason. And, and cause a lot of the songs that she's heard on the radio, you know, he wrote, you know, he wrote the big song for Billy Currington. Um, uh, Must be doing something right. It was a song. It was, it was a huge song for Billy Currington and he'd written a, written, written a bunch of other things too, you know, but uh, anyway, so I, I would go to the show and afterwards we're hanging out, Jason and I, and he's like, man, you need to put your music out. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I don't want to fool with those record labels. You know, I've been done there, been there, done that. I, he said, man, you don't need those record labels anymore. I said, you don't need them. And I didn't have a clue what he was talking about. I mean, it was 
as far as, you know, it could have been from here to the moon. You know, I had no clue. I was completely removed from music at all. You know, I had, I didn't know. So I shared this information with my, my younger brother and, and he, he's been a huge supporter. Just, he works, he works for, you know, I started a record label and he, he pretty much runs it. And, uh, and he's like, man, let's put it out. Let's do it. So, you know, we, uh, come on up here, buddy. I got my dog coming up here to join me. here. <laughs> There's one of the barkers right there. He's uh, making his debut anyway. Uh, anyway, so it was just, uh, we, we put out a song and I'll play it for you here in a minute. We put out a song just to, we figured out how to do it. We, we found there's a couple ways to do it. We didn't know what we didn't know. We put a song out. We didn't have any promotion. We were doing it all ourselves. And we put out a song called country cruise and you know, it did really well for, for one, we put it out the wrong time of year. It's a country, it's a summer song for sure. And we put it out in the late end of summer. You know, we should have put it out now going into summer hindsight. Uh, and we just didn't know what we didn't know, but we learned so much. And, and and also we got the attention of some people in Nashville that heard the song. And I had got I had fallen, I know I'm rambling here, but I fell putting up a deer stand on my place in October. And my strap broke as I was I was fastening it to the tree. I fell, broke a bunch of ribs and cracked my pelvis and and I was in Vanderbilt laid up. Well, my brother gets in contact with this promotions company and they start they kind of start talking, you know. And, and uh, we learned a lot and, and, and that's how, that's how it all came about. So that's how, that's how I got involved with grassroots and that's how this next single came to be. And, um, but it, it really was from a chance, you know, I, I saw my buddy's picture up on the window, the songwriter, and he, he convinced me to, to, to go back after it, you know? So I went back in the studio back in January, um, or, and, and kind of remixed it's all yours retweaked it you know uh, t- uh, and you know it's still it's it holds up you know uh, we went back in and, and recut a few parts and now here it is well, let's put ourselves in that summer state of mind right now this is Dave Wilbert with country cruise on fast line fast track well, I sure hate to brag, but me and my baby's got it made. we fly down to the water on the weekends then we sail away I ain't talking about no highfalutin ocean going ship round here. Shuffleboard just ain't hip. Guess up that Evan Root, son. I'm talking about a country cruise. We got our own little love, but we park in the yard. She's a 12 foot John. We got it Walmart. Rocking down the river. My favorite views of farmer's daughter on the water in a paradise And a cold six pack Son, it don't get any better than that You can have the Caribbean to me I'll take a country cruise Cruise on Not far up the river Is a favorite little port of call where the native tongue is spoken with a little bit of southern drawl. We build a little fire, throw a blanket on the ground, do the sandbar boogie when the sun goes down. Match up your inner tube, son, I'm talking about a country cruise. We got our own little love, but we park in the yard. She's a 12-foot John, we got at Walmart. Rocking down the river, my favorite views of farmer's daughter on the water in a paradise. Skinny Jim 
So we put that out last year, like I said, July 4th, and we didn't know that it was a bad time to put a summer song out in the, at the end of summer. <laughs> so it really, it, it got played about 700 times from July 4th to really end of December. Uh-huh. There are some pockets of the country that were playing it heavy down in Texas and Iowa and some other places, but we really didn't get it picked up, you know, all over the United States. So it's one of those songs where I'm like, you know, maybe next year, maybe we'll put that thing back out. I don't think it's been killed. You know, I don't think it's been not killed, but I don't think it's been worn out, but you know, it might just be, a, it might just be a show song, you know, that people dig, you know, but uh, anyway, called country cruise. Well, I tell you the music business is not an easy vocation to break into the first time around. And, and now you, you know, rarely do folks get a second crack at it. And here you are not only doing it, but doing it on your own terms this time. And you put an amazing team around you. How did you go about assembling that creative team that helped you to reestablish yourself? Yeah. You know, like I said, I got very fortunate. We, um, we learned a lot out of country cruise. We learned who to partner with. We learned when to release a song and when not to. Um, but you know, what really happened that one of the, one of the things that really happened is I, I, along the way, I have built out a great team. Um, I can honestly say that I I've got a fella up, you know, up in Southern Indiana, Troy, if he's listening out there, he, he and I go back. We, he lives in Sellersburg. We played years and years together. Uh, we were roommates for a while and, uh, and he's been critical. Um, he's been on, you know, volunteering his time, blood, sweat, and energy to help move this thing along. Um, my brother is just incredible. You know, he, he is a workhorse and just believes in me and believes in the music. And, and, and at the, at the end of the day, it's about the music. You know, I think the music is, is what makes uh, hopefully what stands out. Um, but I've got great people. I've got a sweetheart of a lady down here named Amory um, that that's on my team. I've got a lady named Bev. I think Bev was, yes. who got put up, put us together and, and then the grassroots, you know, the promotion team. I mean, they are effectively there. They, they are a record label uh, minus the extortion, you know, they, <laughs> they don't, you know, they don't get into your, your wallet, but you know, it, it, they, they, they've got a lot of veterans uh, and they put a lot of work in, and they 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 help independent artists like myself, you know, but I love what you just said. You're doing it on your own terms. And that's that's it couldn't be more true because, you know, I don't I enjoy doing this. I enjoy talking to you. I enjoy getting to play music again. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, man, I, like I said, I'm so comfortable in my own skin now. I don't give a damn if I can be honest about what record labels think, and what record label executives think, because most of those people, you know, you know, they don't know music, you know, yeah. they don't, know, they don't know rural America. Most importantly is they've forgotten what country music's about. It's about family and faith and friends, hardworking, you know, hands-on getting your hands dirty, farmers, mechanics, plumbers, electricians, and doctors and lawyers and everybody else. But they've gone so far away from that. They try to, they try, they're trying so hard to appeal to everybody but that. So, you know, I'm going in the total opposite direction, 180 degrees, total opposite direction. You know, my focus is, is, you know, music, you know, I'm, I'm from the heartland. So I think the music that I sing is from the heartland, you know, 
Yeah. So, I don't know where I'm rambling on about, but anyway. <laughs> Preach on because we're, we're reading from the same playbook here, you know, and, and that's something that, that we're passionate about. Everything that you just mentioned is the whole reason we exist. And that's, uh, that's it, gonna, man. Gonna keep beating that drum. I love it, man. I mean, I, there's nothing better. There's nothing, you know, there's nothing more important than farmers, you know. What are we going to do here in the United States without farmers? You know, everybody, you know, not everybody can code. Not everybody can, you know, do make apps on for phones. You know, there's got to be people that actually do work that create actual tangible products. So yeah. I'm all about that, man. I'm all about it. So, you know, that's the music that I sing. That's the music that I write. That's the music that I love. I grew up on it, you know, small town. I mean, that's about, you know, Charlestown. It's about Jennings County. It's about Seymour, you know, the old the, the scarecrow, you know, and small town. You know, that those are the songs that resonate with me because I lived it, you know. It's all, all surrounded by farmland as far as the eye can see, north, south, east, and west there. It's, yeah, man. That's it. Special that's area. It. That's it. So what, what, if anything, has changed in your mind in, in terms of the actual creative process and the, the recording process uh, for, from the first iteration of your career to the second? You mean, well, I think I, uh, I certainly have lived a lot. Have, I've lived a lot more life. So I believe I, I'm, I'm more wise. Um, I think it, I, it is apparent in my I'm a better writer. You know, when I first came to town, I was scared to death. You know, I mean, here, you know, I'm hanging out with Kerry Kirk Phillips and Jason Matthews and Phil O'Donnell and Kenny Beard and all these guys. And we're talking Hall of Fame songwriters, you know. So I was scared to death to, to even bring out any song that I've even remotely have been working on of my own just because I was so afraid and so intimidated, you know. Um, but now, now I've got a lot, I've got a lot. I think I've got a lot of music in me, you know, I'm certainly not, I don't consider myself a very, I'm not an accomplished songwriter. I am a songwriter, but I, you know, I do have a lot of, I am working at that craft, you know, um, as far as the creative process, you know, I, I can't speak. I can, you know, I think my style, what I'm doing is different. You know, we have real people, real live musicians actually playing instruments. These aren't coming from the computer. You know, this isn't a drum loop that you know uh, you know and that's a lot of that's what you hear you know a lot of those drum boot those drum loops and those those rhythms aren't they're not being played by real people so i think what you hear in my music hopefully is life you know it's 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 living breathing you know there it's not perfect you know life isn't perfect so there there may be a mistake or two but we leave them in because that's life you know um and uh i hope people hear the difference between what we've done and what's being done because there's there's a significant difference and i'm not trying to be ugly i don't mean it in that way at all you know a lot of these guys and gals don't have any say they yeah. you know, to your point i'm doing things my way and and i i couldn't i couldn't do what they do because i wouldn't feel satisfied yeah well, I think you're coming back at an interesting time because it seems like there is a lot of uh, a hunger, but b just curiosity uh, about that kind of '90s ish period time frame music, and then a lot of people. Hey, it's kind of funny you talk about uh, going back and, and listening to to Merle Haggard and, and Waylon Jennings, and then going back to listen to their influences. Right now, you got a lot of these new artists that uh, are going back and exploring '90s country. 
uh, like it was 60s country or, or 50s country. So <laughs> you know, it, it just, uh, it's all relative, but they're, they're just now starting to dig into the Alan Jacksons and the uh, oh, yeah. of the world and, and trying oh. to figure that out, you know? Oh yeah. I mean, those, those, those folks built, I mean, they built the industry really. I mean, you, you've got the, you kind of have the founders, you know, and the, the Waylands and the Willies and the Johnny Cashes of the world and the Merle Haggards that are just iconic. Yeah. But it was kind of, it, you know, and, and, and their music and Buck Owens is one of my favorite too. But I mean, yeah. it really went to next level when Alan Jackson and Garth Brooks and Travis Tritt and George Strait, and yeah, you know, Randy Travis, I mean, mentioned him, I mean, it just went straight. It just went enormous. You know, it just, it became, it became, you know, much larger. Um, yeah. And and the music of the nineties was, you know, I know I, I'm sure you're familiar with or you may not be, but the, the country radio seminar CRS that you know, here every, every year in Nashville this year was virtual, but I did get to see some of the, some of the data, some of the analytics that came from the, from, from their, from when they when they took all the data and they, they the, the summation, and the summation is that '90s music is by far the most popular style of country music that that there is, um, and that people want to hear. They they want to hear '90s style country. They're not really over the moon with this new stuff that's kind of so you know very boyfriend country or or pop country or or bro country, whatever you want to call it. Um, they really have a, to your point, a hunger for that 90s style country, you know? Well, it's interesting when you bring up the analytics of it, because there's a difference between anecdotal evidence and, uh, you know, when people are making decisions and actually seeing the numbers, you know, right there in black and white. So maybe mm -hmm. that will help that pendulum swing the other direction. I hope so, man. You know, I'm, I'm hoping to be one of the guys, one of the, you know, one of the folks that, are a catalyst in that movement. You know, I think, you know, country music, it, you know, it's, it's a big umbrella. It's a big tent. There's room for, there's certainly room for the new stuff and, and so be it. And, and I hope they, I hope they sell a billion records and, and sell out stadiums all over the world. I really do. I mean, I'm being 100% honest, but there's also, there should be room for, you know, I've been classified as a neo-traditionalist and that's great. I don't care what you call me, you know, uh, just play, you know, just play it. Let people decide, you know, just let, let the people decide, you know, do they dig it or not? Yeah. You know, don't keep me out of the, of the tent. You know, that's, that's all I ask is for, for, for us to have a chance, you know, and at the end of the day, man, if we're not good enough or we're not whatever, man, I'm, I'm completely cool with that. Um, I want to tell people if you don't mind Brent, um, where they can go to, you know, hear, hear my stuff. Yeah, most definitely. So you certainly can go to DaveWilbertMusic.com. Um, and, and one of the things, if you go to DaveWilbertMusic.com, there's a little button on there that says Will Billy Nation. And it's really, it's a fan, it's a fan club, but it's really a friend, friendly deal. I'm really more interested in making a bunch of friends and a bunch of fans. It's free. All we ask is that we give your email. And I think your zip code is all we try to capture because when we're coming to play shows like, in Charlestown or, or Iowa or wherever we want to be able to let people know, Hey, we're coming and, and give them a chance to either get cheaper, you know, cheaper tickets or whatever, uh, to incentivize them, you know, uh, to come out. Also, they get a chance to hear the new release or the new single before it ever goes to radio. Um, anything like that. I'm also be playing a free concert here, probably the end of April or the first of May. For all the members, it's going to be free. It's going to be like we're going to do it here on StreamYard. 
And uh, anyway, if you just go to DaveWilbertMusic.com or you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, all those things. And uh, I sure appreciate it. I really would. Uh, you know, the music, you can find it on. Uh, I'm, I'm a huge advocate for radio. That's where I grew up. That's what I support. It is available. My songs are available on Spotify, Pandora, Apple, and Amazon for sure. Um, we appreciate the streams very, very much. Um, and we hope the radio stations, you know, uh, more and more radio stations. We're on about about 80 radio stations now across the United States. Uh, so the singles being played, you know, 800, 900 times a week. That's a lot. Uh, so we're getting we're getting good airplay and we are moving. We are climbing up the charts. We've, we've climbed 28 spots in four weeks. So we're, we're making a pretty good assault. So we just we just really appreciate all the support. It really means the world to us. So if you're listening to this and you're not hearing Dave's music on terrestrial radio, reach out to your radio station. Uh, people still do that these days. And, and every once in a while, at least in the small to mid markets, they will answer the, the phone and uh, let them know, man. Let, let them know to get that Dave Wilbert music on there. I appreciate it very much. And, uh, you know, you talk about uh, some of the writers you worked with. You mentioned Phil O'Donnell uh, before. He's written for George mm -hmm. Strait and Blake Shelton, Craig Morgan. And you've got Noah Gordon, who's co-produced a lot of uh, – uh, Colt Ford stuff, and mm -hmm. uh, then you bring in another one of my favorites, Kendall Marvel, uh, a guy that we've been trying to get on the show here. We we just got to get our schedules to line up, but he's one sure. we we'll get here in a while. You know, he's written for Gary Allen and Jamie mm -hmm. Johnson and Chris Stapleton and so forth, and he's got his own career as a performer mm -hmm. and, and doing quite well. You know, those guys all combined to write your latest song, "It's All Yours," which has a lot of that '90s country flavor, and it's as '90s as anything I've, I've heard in a long time. Tell me about that song. Yeah, you know, it was uh, so Phil Billy used to play with me out on the road way back in the day. Um, we played with Aaron Tippin and I think Diffie and some other shows. You know, he was with me and, um, you know, he's he's had a tremendous songwriting career, you know, and also as a producer. You know, he's produced a, a lot of, you know, Chris Jansen, I think. I think he produced, uh, I know he produced Aaron Watson. You know, he's a Texas artist, but he's getting a lot of, he, he's, he's growing like a weed, you yeah, know. He's got a new album coming out. Yeah, and he's and he's great. <laughs> he's great. Yeah. But Phil and I are really good friends, and uh, you know, unfortunately, I lived that song. You know, mm. I lost everything I had in a bad divorce. <clears throat> um, so and also, you know, I just thought I thought the song had a, you know, it's, it's a lot of tongue in cheek. Um, one, it's a fat. It's got a good tempo to it, so it's it's different than a lot of songs out there today. It's you know most songs out today are ballads or, or mid tempos, you know. Um, and I also like the message. I kind of think I think the hidden message is, you know, you may lose all your stuff, but as long as you don't lose your soul, you're going to be all right. And at least that's that's my my own story. Is uh, you know, in hindsight, I did lose all my stuff. I didn't lose my kids. I have all the memories. I got all that experience that I wouldn't have experienced otherwise. So, I, you know, in a weird way, I'm grateful. Uh, but yeah, the song just came to me and it just fit me from a singing standpoint. You know, I some songs fit people, some songs don't. You know, it's just the way it is. You can't sing everything. You know, you just can't. You'd like to, but, you know, to be honest, you can't. Some songs just don't fit you. Just They just don't. And that one, that song fit me, you know, and, and, and obviously I lived it. So, uh, it was easy for me to relate to, for sure. Well, before we close things out this week, let's hear this one from Dave Wilbert. This is It's All Yours on Fast Line, Fast Track. You took my ring, you took a vow, 
You took my name in front of the whole dang town. Took out a loan at my expense. Then you took a vacation with your ex-boyfriend. Now you're swimming in the ocean off the coast of Costa Rica. Eating shrimp, shish kebab, and drinking frozen margaritas. The house, the boat, the car, the truck, the diamond ring, and the rest of the stuff. I've been breaking my back and busting my butt for. It's all Took me for a ride Now you're on my leather sofa Eating chips and double dipping While you're watching pay-per-view On that new big screen television The house, the boat, the car, the trunk The diamond ring and the rest is come I've been breaking my back And busting my butt for It's all Stuff there from Dave Wilbur. Appreciate it. Beautiful. Well, I tell you, at yeah. the uh, top of the show here, we mentioned uh, your love for hunting, and mm. we can't get out of here tonight without talking about a partnership uh, that yeah. you have with Woodhaven Custom Calls, which makes handmade turkey and deer calls. How did that whole partnership come about? Yeah, I got to thank my brother. You know, uh, he, he we, we we tried to find some partners, and he was really adamant about about finding partners of products that I use, that I use, you know, that it would be real. And I am an avid turkey hunter. I mean, it's my, it's my favorite pastime besides making music, you know? And, um, and he said, well, who do you use? Cause he's not a hunter. And I said, man, I use Woodhaven custom calls. And so they're the best calls, you know, they're reliable, they're durable. And he just, he's like, all right. So he went about it, you know, and the next thing you know, I'm, I'm down meeting with the CEO in, in Heflin, Alabama, and we just hit off a, a great friend, you know, a nice friendship. We're beginning of a friendship. And if you're a turkey hunter, man, it doesn't get better than Woodhaven. So what does the rest of 2021 hold in store for Dave Wilbert? Man, more of the same. You know, I hope to I hope to get out. I hope to do more of these, just as many as I can, until we get to go out. You know, I want to go out and play shows. I'm just itching, you know, to go play live. Uh, that's why I really enjoy getting on this format with you, because I actually get to play music a little bit, you know. Um, but there's still, it's still, I missed the, the interaction of the folks, you know, the crowd. So hopefully we'll get to play more and more. 
Uh, I am releasing an EP at the end of the summer, so you, we will have an EP. I'd love to have. I'd love to be back on your show to promote it when time comes. Uh, you know, we're gonna hopefully it's all yours. It's gonna have a nice run as far as it can go up the charts, and then we'll have a new single out this summer for sure. Well, a big thank you to Dave Wilbert for joining us this week, and we want to thank you as well for joining us. And as we promised at the beginning of the show, we're going to leave you this week with the music of Don Anita, and we want to remind you to come back next week and bring along a friend. Right now, here's our friend, Don Anita, with I Believe on Fast Line Fast Track. drop of rain that falls a flower grows I believe that somewhere in the darkest night a candle glows I believe for everyone who goes astray someone will Let's go.